I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 50 and verse 22. And again, we welcome all of you here, and we thank you for being a part of our service this morning. And uh, I'm looking forward to what God's Word is going to do today and tonight when we gather back for more worship and the Word of God. I just believe God has a good thing for each one of us today. We welcome all of our guests and, uh, and, and saints alike. I want you to just continue to let God touch you in His name. Genesis chapter 50, verse 22. Now, They'll have it on the King James Version on the screen. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation just because uh, I, I like how clearly it states this. In verse 22, it simply says, So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of descendants of his son Ephraim. He lived to see the birth of the children of Manasseh's son Maker, whom he claimed as his own. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come and help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt and he will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110, the Egyptians embalmed him and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Hallelujah. Why don't you be seated for a moment? You know, uh, the Bible is so, uh, for lack of a better word, prophetic. And while I don't have time to delve into it, if you remember, there was a moment where God told Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to bring you out of, uh, out of the land of Ur and I'm going to bring you to a promised land. And, of course, we'll talk about that promised land here in a moment. But one of the things that God told Abraham was that your people will be in bondage for about 400 years. Now that was generations before it ever happened. And here you have Joseph and he's, he's in his, uh, his place. And, and Joseph is in Egypt. You know the story. Uh, Joseph was kind of sold by his brothers. There was some family feuding going on. But here even where everything was going good, Joseph was second in command. Joseph's power and prestige there in Egypt was unparalleled. He had just about anything you could possibly want. But even then, there was something that was unsettled in Joseph, and he said, I'm looking for a promise that's coming. Let's take a, a look around that. When God told Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, get thee out of thy country, leave your kindred, leave your father's house, and go into a land that I will show you. He said, I will bless you and make you a great nation. I will cause your name to be great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Abraham heard that promise of God. And the best thing you can do when God speaks to you is just simply get up and go. So Abraham did that. He left. He departed as God spoke to him. Lot went with him. He was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, their substance, all the souls they had gotten, and they go forth. They are marching to a land he had never seen before, the land of Canaan. When Abraham passed through, when he passed through the place of Sheshem, when he passed through the plain of Mor Moriah, Canaanite was there in the land. And this is what I want to show you in verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham, and this is what he said. He said, this promise is not just to you, Abraham. He said, unto thy seed 
will I give this land? Kind of echoes something in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, when he was talking about the promise of the Holy Ghost. He said, this promise is not just to you, but it's to your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God's promises are not just a promise for right now. God wants to touch and bless the generations to come. He said, I'm giving this promise of Canaan's land to your seed. He told Abraham, he said, I want you to uh, look, lift your eyes and look from the place where you are. I want you to look to the north. Turn around, look to the south. Look to the east and to the west. For all of the land which you see, to thee will I give it and to your seed forever. That's a key right there. He said, And Abraham, by the way, was on a mountain. He wasn't in some little valley where he could only see just a, a little bit in front of him. He could see a long way. God said, I'm going to give it to you. I will make your seed as the dust of the earth. And if a man can number the dust of the earth, then so shall your seed be also be numbered. Verse 17 of Genesis chapter 13, he said, Arise and walk through the land. I want you to walk the length of it. I want you to walk the breadth of it. And everywhere that you walk, that's your promise. Can I just take a moment and just tell you that sometimes you need to get up and just walk around some of the promises that God has given you just to kind of try them out and see how far God is willing to go. Sometimes you need to get up and say, Lord, I know what you've told me. I know what you've promised me. I know what I have in my life. So I'm going to kind of just test it out. I'm going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the, per to the power that worketh in us. The verses preceding that said, that I want that I wish that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, seeing that you be rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of God that passeth knowledge. You need to understand that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. That God's desire for you and his desire to bless you, his desire to take you places you'd never dreamed, his desire through the salvation that he's given you, it is more than just what you can touch tangibly. But God says, I want you to kind of walk this way, I want you to walk this way. In the deepest, darkest lows of your life, you need to know that God is with you. On the mountaintop experiences, God will be with you. Sometimes you got to just take a walk around the promise. See, I'm afraid too often we sell ourselves and we sell God short. And we never really live the way God wanted us to live. Now, I'm not preaching prosperity doctrine. I'm not saying that everything's going to be perfect and, and that your bank account's going to have millions of dollars in it and we're all going to drive Rolls Royces and have, you know, 500,000 uh, square foot homes. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But I have lived long enough to know this. Living for God is infinitely better than not living for God. Even when sometimes it doesn't work the way I want it to work out. Anybody ever had a bad day living for God? Sure. Anybody ever woke up and that day just really didn't start out the way you wanted to and you're just kind of sitting there going, man, I thought it was going to be all roses and beautiful things. But, you know, life happens. 
I had an interesting conversation a couple days ago with a, uh, and I think this is how he said it, and he was being a bit facetious, but he was serious. He said, I'm, a, I'm an atheist that kind of believes there might be a God. That's how he, he, he put it out. You know, I don't necessarily worship him. I don't really believe in all of the religion stuff, but I kind of think there might be a God, but I'm an atheist. You know, that's how he, how he put it. But we had conversations. And in that, you know, he asked those questions. If you've lived long enough, talk to anybody, you're going to get these questions where someone says, if God is so good, how come bad things happen to good people? Can I tell you the best way to answer that question? It's real simple. You ready? I don't exactly know. I don't know why babies die. I don't know why someone that, that, that is, uh, uh, you know, done everything that, that you can do. You know, they've, they go to church, they worship, they pay their tithes, they live for God, they live holy. I, I don't know why some bad things happen. I don't know why someone who smokes every day of their life, four packs a day, can run a marathon and never cough a day in their life, and someone that's never smoked or done anything suddenly gets lung cancer and dies. I don't know that. But this is what I told the man as I looked at it. I said, but this thing I can tell you. Brandon Paul Buford has walked through some low places in his life. But it was much better to walk through those low places with my hand firmly entrenched in the hand of God than to have walked those valleys without the Lord. Life has a way of throwing curves at us. Life has a way of messing us up. But I'm going to tell you right now, the promise that I have through Jesus allows me to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. The promises of God are yea and amen, but sometimes we sell it short. One of the stories that has been preached many times is the story found in 2 Kings chapter 13 when Elisha was falling sick and he was about to die and Joash, the king of Israel, came and he didn't want to see the great prophet dying. and He said, you know, basically, I need to hear it again. Elisha from his deathbed said, take your bow and take your arrows. He said, I want you to open the window and I want you to start shooting arrows out that window. For the arrow will represent the Lord's deliverance and the arrow will represent the delivering from the hand of Syria and you'll smite the Syrians until you consume them. Take those arrows and shoot. He said, I want you to also take those arrows and I want you to smite them on the ground. And the Bible says that he smote the ground three times and he stopped. Man of God was kind of got mad and said you should have hit the ground five or six times and then you would have smitten Syria until you consumed it. But you settled, you stopped and you're only going to smite Syria but three times. I don't know why. I mean you kind of think if someone said hit the ground, you hit the ground. But for whatever reason there was a deeper meaning in that. I don't want to get to the point where I sell God's power short. I don't want to say God I believe you can do this but I don't know about over here. I believe you can heal. I just don't know if you can heal me. I believe you can deliver. I just don't know if you can deliver me. But Joseph had a wish from Abraham to his son Isaac to Isaac's son Jacob to Jacob's son Joseph that was how long it had been and that's multiple centuries that was spanned that the promise that God gave Abraham was there I'm going to give the promise not just to you Abraham 
but to your children and their children. As I said earlier, Joseph had had gone to uh, Egypt perhaps at around the age of 16. There's people that kind of doubt or or debate that rather back and forth, but somewhere perhaps through the ages of 16 to 20, Joseph was sold. We know that Joseph lived for 110 years. That will tell you the majority of Joseph's life was lived there in Egypt. Joseph attained the rank of the vice pharaoh, if you will, in Egypt. He had all the land and money and prosperity you could want. But there was something in the back of Joseph's mind. Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph, through the life of him, and you can read it, through all of his trials, he he trusted God and served God. And because of that, even though centuries had passed, Joseph said there is a promise coming. And while I have appreciated everything that God has blessed me here in Egypt, I'm glad that I got a nice house, and I'm glad I got wealth, and I'm glad my family is here, and I'm glad that we have have endured some great things, and all of this is here, but this is not my future. I don't want to settle in Egypt because God didn't give me Egypt for a promise. God gave us Canaan's land for a promise. And so because of that, right before Joseph died, he looks at his sons and their sons and their grandsons and he makes them promise him when God comes and leads you out of Egypt. They hadn't even begun to be slaves yet. They hadn't even gotten to the place where the the whip of the taskmaster had laid on their backs. Right now, everything is good. If you're the the family uh, of the second in command in Egypt, You really don't want for anything. Especially the family of the one that had single-handedly saved Egypt from utter destruction during those famines. He had everything he wanted. But he said, when God takes us out, I want you to take my bones with you. Because I don't belong in Egypt. I belong in Canaan's land. So fast forward with me about 400 years. Now Moses is here. Now Pharaoh, a different Pharaoh rose, a Pharaoh that didn't really think about or know all that uh, uh, Joseph is the name I'm trying to come up with, there it is, all that Joseph had done and now he looks out and he doesn't like the way Israel, the Israelites are, are reproducing and God is blessing him so he puts them under a, a great task and they're slaves and of course you know the story, Moses is is called of God and and brought back. And now Moses comes and finally through all the plagues and God's moving, Pharaoh lets his people go. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 13 verse 17, again reading from the New Living Translation, God didn't lead them along the main road that left or that ran through the Philistines' territory, even though it was the shortest route. God said, I I know if these people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them a different way, a roundabout way, through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. The Israelites left Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel to swear. The Israelites left. Now you got to fast forward another about 85 years. So we're about 485 years from Joseph telling his sons and grandsons and maybe even his great-grandsons, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. The Bible says in, 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 jo- in Joshua chapter 24, verse 29, 
that Joshua the son of Nun died at the age of 110 and they buried him in the land that he had been allocated at Tenmath Sarah in the hill of Ephraim north of Mount Gash. And the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived them, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the Israelites had brought along with them when they left Egypt, were buried at Sheshem in a parcel of ground that Jacob had bought for the, from the sons of Hamar for a hundred pieces of silver. And the land was located in the territory allotted to the descendants of Joseph. Four hundred and eighty-five years, somebody had to carry the bones of Joseph. Somewhere they had to take take care of it. But it was because Joseph said, I will not settle for anything less than the promise of God. He said, don't bury me in Egypt. I don't belong in Egypt. Don't bury me by the Red Sea. You got to take me across. Don't bury me at Mount Sinai. I'm glad God met with us, but that's not the promise. Don't bury me where the water came out of the rock. Don't bury me where the quail came. Don't bury me where the manna fell. Don't bury me where we won some of the battles. Don't bury me right at the edge of the Jordan River. Bury me in the promised land. Joseph, even in his death, said, I signed up for the long haul and I'm going to go all the way. It kind of echoes the words of Paul where he says if we're running a race called life, you might as well run to finish, not just to kind of say, well, I enjoyed the journey. I'm here for the long haul. I'll tell you right now, I like living. I really don't have any desire to do anything else. I would prefer to keep breathing. I prefer to keep, you know, going on. I haven't planned my funeral yet. I don't know where I'm going to be buried yet. I like living but this is not my promise this is not what I was created to do there's a promise I have that one day if I live for him the trumpet's going to sound and God's going to call me home and I'm not willing to settle here and miss there the Bible says we're just sojourners travelers through a foreign land this world as one song says this world is not my home I'm just passing through why would you ever want to settle for anything less than the fullness of God? There's an interesting story in Numbers chapter 32. A story that bothers me every time I read it. It's a story that, that proves the point that I'm trying to make. In, in, in Numbers chapter 32, they're, they're getting ready to walk over into the promised land. They have... They have kind of walked around the wilderness for 40 years and now finally they have this opportunity to go and finally be in the promise that God had given them. But in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 1, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, those are two tribes of, of Israel. These two tribes, they had a huge number of, of livestock and and they had kind of walked around long enough that they got settled. They saw the land of Gezer, they saw the land of Gilead and they saw that it was a good place, a good plain. It, it would support all of their lifestyle and their livestock. And so they came, Gad and Reuben, they came to Moses or, and, and to Ellen, uh, Eleazar the priest and the leaders. And they said, we have a question for you. I know we're about to walk over the Jordan River. I know we're about to finally enter into the promise that God gave Abraham all of those years prior. I know everything is finally paying off, but if we found favor in your sight, 
why don't you let us stay here on this side of the Jordan River? Let us stay here in the wilderness because we like what we've seen. We're, we're good with what's happened and we are okay. And so let us stay here. They were content to settle. They had not even seen what God's promise was going to be when they get over to the promised land. They were settling sight unseen, not even realizing all of the blessings that they would have over there. They said, don't take us over the Jordan River. Even though that from the time that Abraham left, it had been the longing of the children of Israel. For 485 years, they had been waiting for the day that God would give them their own land. Ever since Jacob moved to Egypt to find relief, now these two tribes were content to stay and not even enter into the promised land. It just, it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's uh, One commentator said it this way, that any Israelite tribe should consider settling outside of the land promised to Abraham showed a disturbing indifference to the divine word, the word on which Israel's existence entirely depended. They said, I'll settle right here and never get to the promise. Moses, he, he was worried about this. When he heard that, he said, You don't understand. How will you sit here in the wilderness while all of us walk across the the Jordan River and we're going to have to fight and we're going to have to, you know, take down Jericho and Ai? Why are you going to stay here? Because I know what will happen. You will discourage those from ever going into the land that God has promised them. Moses understood this. Moses realized that people who settle People who who are content to never go forward have a way of discouraging those that do. I'm just going to be perfectly honest. I've been in churches long enough to know that there's always two types of people. There's people who are content to just stay the way they are, and there's people who say, I want everything that God has promised, but somebody starts worshiping and getting excited and starts teaching on Bible studies, and someone says, man, why are you doing all that? Why do you come to church three times a week? Why do you come to prayer meeting? Why do you teach Bible studies? Don't you know you can come just every couple of weeks and you don't even have to worry about it? It's just the truth. Somebody goes, hmm, huh, let me see how that works. You mean I can come to church maybe every once a month and I'll be fine? Hmm. Complacency becomes contagious. Moses feared that the attitude of those tribes of Reuben and Gad would keep the other tribes from going to the promised land. They would say this, we've already wandered for 40 years, what's another lifetime going to hurt? So Moses said, well, I don't want to do this. How about this? How about if you'll come over and fight with us, because it takes all of us. You come over and fight with, with us and, 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 and help us conquer our promise. And then after we've conquered the promised land, we'll let you go back into the wilderness and you can live there and it'll be okay. And they did. It's the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my life. That the people of Reuben and Gad were willing to fight for a promise they did not even want. 
And I just want to ask you this, and, and, and I realize that, that maybe some would say, Pastor, don't give someone an out, but here it is. Why in the world would you ever want to live for God but not desire His promise? Why would you want to go through the motions? Why would you want to come to church but settle and not make it to heaven? Why would you want to live for God and say, you know what, I'll just kind of keep living the way I've always been living, but I'll never go any further and then not get it. Why would you want to settle without being in the promised land? I remember a sermon my dad preached, and I have it written down, February 9th, 2011, and he made this statement. He said, don't build houses where God said to build tents. Because some things in our life are meant to be simply a temporary stopping point. But all too often people, they get to a place in their life and they, they, they start settling and they start building permanent uh, 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 places, permanent houses, when God said, really, I'm, you're just sojourning. You're just going to be here for a couple years. You're just, it's a, it, it might be 40 years, but you're in the wilderness right now. But don't settle for the wilderness because there's a promised land coming. Don't build a house where God says just simply put up a tent. Those two tribes were asked to go and enlarge the promised land, but they lived on the edge. It's the same. You can fast forward. Let me give you another uh, way of this. Fast forward to Jesus' time, and you find the land of the Gadarenes. It's kind of in the same place. It has to deal with that same tribe where that demonic man was there and when Jesus came and delivered that demonic man from all of the demons, the demons went in the pigs, the pigs got scared, ran in the ocean and all drowned and you find that there were people, there were herdsmen, there were Israelite herdsmen that were more concerned about the loss of their pigs than the fact that the Messiah was in their midst. They had settled and even when Jesus showed up, it didn't move them. In fact, the Bible, if you read it closely, says they drove him out of their town. They had settled. The West, I, I, I picked up a book last night and was reading it again. I've read it before, but it's, it's a biography of, of uh, Davy Crockett. I've got another biography I was reading of Daniel Boone, and, and it's th- those, those people, the, those that, that always had that westward look kind of, kind of uh, uh, amazed me, all the things they went through. But the West is full of stories about settling, which is why they call them settlers. It was people that they would start off on that great Oregon trail and they would take a trip. They would leave out of here of St. Joseph, usually St. Joseph, Missouri. And, and they would go. There was a couple different ways you could get to Oregon and some of the, the land that was there that they would uh, be able to raise their their, their their cows and have a good life. And, and many of them, they would start off, but it was a long, arduous journey. There are plenty of stories. In fact, a lot of the towns that we have between here and California and Oregon were towns that came to be because they started off for Oregon, but they got tired. And so the first place they came that looked good, they would settle. Now that's not too bad per se. They built houses, they built schools, they dug wells. But the point is this, they never made it to the destination they started to. They Settled. I ask you today, how far are you willing to go for the promise of God? 
Are you willing to just kind of settle at the first place that seems right? Are you willing to persevere and press through and get to the place that God has called you to be? Or will you just settle and say, you know what? Life is good. Everything happened. And I'm okay to settle. To that I would simply say this. The words of the prophet Amos. Amos in chapter 6 and verse 1. He said, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria which are named chief of the nations of whom the house of Israel came. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Jeremiah echoed something that was kind of the same. Jeremiah chapter 48. He said, Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his lees and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither hath he gone into captivity and therefore his taste remain in him and his scent was not changed. Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, will I will send unto him wanderers that will cause him to wander and empty his vessels and break their bottles. That Jeremiah, Moab has settled on his lees, tends to talk about the wine that they had made during that time and the wine that they would made was not as pure as the wine that, that you can get. And so it would, if you would put a bottle of wine and just kind of leave it sit, it would, it would settle. And, and all of the sediment that was in that wine would settle to the bottom. And it would kind of separate, if you will. And it, it wouldn't be very good because it wasn't properly fermenting, if you will. Those that knew such things knew that you had to constantly, back in those days, shake and turn those bottles so that they wouldn't settle and become tasteless. See, there's, there's two groups of people that are talked about in these two verses, Amos 6 and Jeremiah 48. One is the unconverted and the other is the converted. See, there are some who become so at ease with their sin that they have no desire to change. They settle. They've lived a life in such a, a, a sinful way that the conscience has been seared. No longer does their sin affect them. No longer does their sin move them. And so they just have no desire to change. One of the saddest things I've ever had told to me was simply this. I know the way I'm living is wrong. But I've done it so long I can't change. Translation, I know I won't go to heaven, but I've lived this way so long I'm comfortable with it. They settled. But there's another side of that. I, don't, I, don't, I hope that, that what I just talked about, the sinner settling, I hope that doesn't apply to anybody here. I don't think so because you're here. But the other side of that is the Christian. Those that have been in church so long that they're no longer moved by God's presence. They've settled. Oh, they come to church, they give, they raise their hands, they worship every once in a while, but there's no moving. And he's settled. One commentator says of this verse, he said, we're talking to the believer, the Christian who finds himself a long time without any remarkable trouble. His children are spared to him, his home is happy. His business is prosperous. He has, in fact, all that he can wish. And when he looks around, he can say, like David said, The lines are fallen unto me in good, pleasant places. I have a good inheritance. Or maybe Psalms 30 that says, In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. 
Or the man who was rich, the one of the parables that Jesus gave, the man who was rich and, and his crops did so good that he, he had to build bigger barns and he had to build bigger silos. And he sat back and he said, everything is perfect. I don't have to work another day in my life. I've done it. And he sat down and that night the Lord said, your soul is required of you. They were at ease. They were at ease. But Job said it this way. I was at ease. But he broke me asunder. He took me by the neck and he shook me to pieces and he set me up for his mark. His archers compassed round about me. He cleaveth my reins asunder and he did not spare. He poured my gall upon the ground. He broketh me with breach upon breach. He runneth upon me like a giant. Job said, I learned a hard lesson. I was at ease. I had settled. But God had to shake me awake to get my attention. I ask you today, if you look at your life, have you settled? If you look at your life, are you like Reuben and Gad who you've gone so far but you've just decided this is as far as I want to go. I'm just going to kind of live and keep doing what I've done and, and, and everything's good. But there's a promise just right across the river. There's a promise across Jordan called the Canaan's land that was given to Abraham. And it said it's for your children and their children and their children and their children. But you settled or is there a Joseph spirit inside you that says even if for whatever reason I don't get as far as I hope I get I'm going to tell him take my bones with you because this isn't where I belong I want us to stand right now in the presence of God I want you to begin to lift your hands in this place because only you can answer those questions only you can can get to the place where you know if you've settled. Only you can ask and, and, and find the answer. Are you where God's called you to be? Or have you built some houses where the Lord said only build a tent? And as they begin to sing, I want to open these altars. I want you to take a moment. And I want you to find your place. Lord, what do you want me to do? Where are you leading me? God, is there still a, 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 a place I need to hold your hand and walk to? Is there still a Jordan River you're about to open for me? Is there still a promise you have? God, please don't let me settle where I don't belong. In Jesus' name.